Today, Rinpoche utilized the analysis of a chariot and the seven points to negate the intrinsic existence of all phenomena and show the distinction between the Madhyamika Prisangika and the Madhyamika... Uh, here, give me another take. It was so good. Today, Rinpoche explained the lack of intrinsic existence of all phenomena utilizing the seven-point analysis of a chariot, showing the distinction between the Madhyamika Svatantrika and Madhyamika Prasangika school. So, <laughs> So, once again, we are uh, looking at the text, the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment by Lama Tsongkhapa. Uh, and this particular text uh, uh, encompasses all of the teachings that Lord Buddha gave and summarizes them into three specific categories. And those categories are called the teachings for beings of three capacities, uh, and they present three specific results that categorically uh, fall under the only possibilities of result um, that uh, would, be, would fall into a major category uh, in Buddhism. So everything that Buddha taught can fall into these three categories of results. So the first category is called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. These teachings are for practitioners who wish to achieve higher realm rebirth into the gods and the humans. Uh, specifically, as the translators note, there are six realms of cyclic existence. The lower realms consist of the hell, hungry ghost, and the animal realm. And the higher realms consist of the human, the demigod, and God's realm. So those who wish to be free from the lower realms and achieve rebirth in the higher realms practice the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. So by relying on going for refuge to the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, engaging in ethical behavior that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities, and acknowledging any downfall that uh, one engages in, uh, in dependence upon those practices, he or she will achieve rebirth into the higher realms of cyclic existence. So these are, this first category is called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. The next category called, is called the teachings shared in common with beings of medium capacity, sometimes middling capacity, and these are for practitioners who wish to achieve 
uh, complete cessation of cyclic existence in terms of their own liberation, so their own individual nirvana. So this practitioner engages in what's called the three highest higher trainings. Highest higher training in ethics, concentration, and wisdom. And in dependence upon these three trainings, coupled with the prior practices of the small scope or small capacity practices, he or she is able to achieve re, uh, um, cessation of cyclical, cyclical rebirth uh, and achieve their own individual nirvana. But this is different from Buddhahood. They still have what is called the obstructions to omniscience. Even though the afflictions have been removed, so cyclic existence no longer exists for them, they have not removed the imprints of those afflictions. So in order to remove those and to become a complete Buddha, one needs to practice the teachings for beings of great capacity. And these practices um, require one to engage in the small and medium capacity practices and then coupling them with the generation of bodhicitta, the mind that aspires to enlightenment, and then from that mental state engaging in the practice of the six perfections. So the six perfections are driven by the mind that aspires to enlightenment or done so for the sole purpose of becoming a Buddha. Uh, so these are how we divide all of Lord Buddha's teachings into three categories. And as a note, the great capacity also includes the tantric vehicle, um, which is mentioned briefly in Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, but is only mentioned briefly because he has an entire text devoted to the tantric path, which is written in the same fashion of stages from the action tantra to the performance tantra to the yogic tantra to highest yogic tantra. Um, and the te that text is called the great treatise on the uh, stages of the tantric path to enlightenment, uh, the Ngarim Chemo. Uh, so that is inferred or implicitly, implicitly contained within the great capacity teachings. Uh, mo mainly in this text we focus on the perfection vehicle, but that's, uh, it's implied that the perfection vehicle uh, and the tantric vehicle um, are contained here because those are both the Mahayana paths to Buddhahood. Deeksung. So at this moment we have the human basis. We have this very rare condition uh, that has been brought about by our previous karma. So we're in the position now to practice Dharma in the best way possible. So we need to make sure that we utilize this very important basis for what, um, uh, for great purpose. Um, and what is that great purpose? The great purpose of uh, achieving those uh, results that are just mentioned. <laughs> Habayer <laughs> 
Rajin Gobadan, Tukabala, Tukabala, Kondichi, Naja, Kondichi, Naja, Tanji, Leba, Ronashi, Gube, Tudinilla, Nebany, Bashao, Mambo, Mambanala, Rangu, Tubi, Rajin, Kelena, Yetu, Tubi, Rebe, Cheba, Cheba, Juba, Lubin, Deniji, Jean Le Mato, Sumba, Sumba, Papa Yosiji, Jean La, Jean Nadan, Jean Nadaragi, Deba Tonyu, Lode, Lode Kelabayino, Kelabayila, Kelayila, Kelayila, the Tana, the Tayina, Majibatara, Nabataji, Suji Kelamba, Languba Namo. Somba, Somba, Shabatella, ten, eh? Tawa, Jula, Jibi, Chulo, Son, Kanga, Kanga, Damet, Tela, Bebadan, Kanga, Kanga, Damet, Tela, Bebadan, Chuji, Damet, Tela, Bebadan, Tawa, Te, the Dag, Kombi, Diba, Chuba, Chubi, Chulo, Tambula, Son. ロンチェテテスコンエチュウェイレ。ネネデウマランジュパエンウマテンジョワエウミテンジョワデンジングデカンガパンウミランジュパデンジンデツイレガンインスネコンツグンゾグンゾビチュウデラウンドジュパイル
um, and you accept what they are proposing, look at what the consequences of that are. Look at what the, the illogical things that occur are. So if you start from their stance and say, I believe this, look at, if you say, I believe this, then look at this consequence to that, and look at that consequence to that, and that consequence to that. So it's saying that um, you, if you adopt this position even yourself, you'll be able through the, for, through the process of consequence negate that view. But you still need to find the compatibility of existence in a conventional sense and the lack of intrinsic existence in even a conventional sense. So that's what it's saying here. So when we look at these two systems, the two higher systems of Madhyamaka, um, which is the final school, of, um, just as a note, the tenet systems um, are the, um, the great exposition school or the Vaibhashika, the sutra school or Satrantika, the mind-only school or Chittamantran, and then the middle way school or Amadhyamaka. And the middle way school breaks into middle way autonomy and middle way consequence, or in, in Sanskrit, Svatantrika, and uh, the Madhyamika Svatantrika, and Madhyamika Prisangika. The Prisangika, or the middle way consequence school, is the highest school in Tibetan Buddhism followed by the Middle Way Autonomy School, or Madhyamika Svatantrika. The Madhyamika Svatantrika still has a subtle grasping at true existence, a very subtle grasping, because the belief is that conventionally there is some form of intrinsic existence. But the Middle Way Consequence School negates intrinsic existence altogether. So it's for that reason that it is a superior school because the object of negation is broader. The object of negation is, is, in a, is correct in a complete way, whereas the autonomy school still has grasping at intrinsic existence in a very subtle way. Uh, much more subtle than any of the other schools, but still grasping at intrinsic existence because of the belief that an object an object has some thingness. A car has some carness but doesn't become a car until it's named or nominally designated by a person. The Middle Way Consequence School says that car has no carness whatsoever, and it's merely from the side of the nominal, of the nominal uh, designation, of the naming. There is a, an object that exists there, but that object merely comes into being as what it's called by naming and the person bringing it into being by calling it that and society agreeing that that name is the right name for that thing. Um, and then that is how an, an object, according to the Prasangika school, comes into existence. And the trick is to find that view which, which negates any intrinsic existence because of dependent origination and have that compatible with it existing still completely but not existing intrinsically. So that's why it's called the middle way, because you're trying to dance between nihilism and substantialism. Uh, so then Rinpoche read number three a little bit. Um, and I also found, just as a note, we were trying to find a quote from the Root Wisdom text, the Mulya Madhyamika Karika, um, and I found that. So I'm actually going to refer to that right now. Um, uh, the things arise neither from itself nor from another, nor from both, nor without a cause. Does anything whatever 
anywhere arise? So that was the last line was the one that I, I didn't have. So it basically says, does anything anywhere actually arise? Parentheses, intrinsically. Um, so that really, um, so these are the, these basically, that stanza refutes all of the different schools, Buddhist and non-Buddhist. Because the only possibility is that something arises from itself intrinsically, arises from something else intrinsically, is somehow a union of both intrinsically, or that it is causeless, that it's, does, you know, there's no rhyme or reason, it's just random causeless. Um, and, uh, so these are all the think possibilities that would make something intrinsically exist, and all of those are negated. Uh, so it, Nagarjuna proves that there is no intrinsic existence. Okay, Sumba left Son Rinpoche. Shinta 
Tata Tetra 
Uh, that's chapters 22 through 24. Number two, how to determine that there is no self in phenomena. Uh, chapter 24. Number three, how to eliminate afflictive and cognitive obscurations by becoming accustomed to those views. Chapter 24. How to determine that there is no self in the person. This section has three parts. One, actually determining that the self, i.e. person, lacks intrinsic existence. Chapters 22 through 23. Two, teaching that what the self owns is also thereby established as lacking intrinsic existence. Three, how to apply those lines of reasoning to other phenomena as well. One, actually determining that the self lacks intrinsic existence. This has two parts. Giving the example, showing what it illustrates. Giving the example, a sutra cited in Chandrakirti's explanation of the Middle Way commentary says, Self is a demonic mind. You have a wrong view. These composite aggregates are empty. There is no living being in them. Just as one speaks of a chariot in dependence upon collections of parts, so we use the convention living being in dependence upon the aggregates. Taking as an example the imputation of a chariot in dependence upon its parts, such as its wheels, the Buddha states that the self or living being is also imputed in dependence upon the aggregates. Therefore, I will first explain the example of the chariot. The explanation of the example has four parts. So aggregates means all the parts that make up a person. So not just the body and the hands and the eyes, the cognitive parts and all of those other things that all come together to make us sit here right now. Every single part of breath and element and fire and wind, all those things are, when they speak of aggregates, that's what it means. It's the aggregates, the, the aggregation of our parts. And then there are five of them, um, but, but that's what that's talking about. Um, showing the chariot, uh, the explanation of example has four parts. One, showing the chariot exists imputedly without intrinsic existence. Two, eliminating objects to that. Three, how to establish the chariot under various names. Four, the advantage that you find the view quickly by using this example. Number one, showing that the chariot exists imputedly without intrinsic existence. Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way uh, says, A chariot is neither uh, asserted to be other than its parts nor to be non-other. It does not possess them. It does not depend upon the parts and parts do not depend on it. It is neither the mere collection of parts nor is it their shape. It is like this. Thus he says that just as a chariot is a mere imputation since it does not exist in these seven ways, one with its parts different from its parts, etc., so it is also from the self and the aggregates. If the chariot had an essential or intrinsic nature, it undoubtedly would be established by reasoned knowledge that analyzes whether it exists intrinsically in any of the seven ways. However, since it is not established by such knowledge in any of the seven ways, it does not intrinsically exist. The parts of a chariot are the axle, the wheels, the nails, etc. The chariot is not intrinsically one with those parts. If it were one, then there would be fallacies such as the following. Just as the parts are plural, so the chariot would also be many. Just as the chariot is single, so the parts would be single. Agent and the object would be the same. Nor is a chariot intrinsically separate from its parts, because if it were, it would be seen separately apart from them, like pot and cloth, yet it is not. Also, there would be no reason to impute it in relation to those parts. Two of the positions involve positing a chariot and its parts as, ba as basis and dependent. A chariot is not the basis for its parts, like a bowl holding yogurt, nor does it rest in its parts, like Devadatta in a tent. 
Because such relationships, Devadatta is a person's name, just by the way, because such relationships could be demonstrated only if a chariot and its parts were essentially separate, but they are not. Here we do not refute mere mutual existence. We refute a basis independent that exists by way of intrinsic character. Even the two examples just mentioned refer to situations in which the other party accepts that there are intrinsically characterized basis bases and dependence. All similar cases should be understood in this way. The possibility of possession is also untenable. If you hold that a chariot possesses its parts, just as Devadatta possesses oxen, i.e. Ob as objects other than himself, then just as the oxen and Devadatta are seen separately, a chariot and its parts would likewise be seen separately, yet they are not. Thus, there is no such possession. It is also unreasonable that a chariot should possess its parts just as Devadatta possesses his ear because we are now refuting intrinsic difference. For things that exist essentially, this type of possession would involve intrinsic oneness, and we already refuted that. Again, we do not refute the conventional existence of Devadatta's merely having an ear, and the same applies to the chariot. Thus, we refute intrinsically characterized possession. So, an intrinsically existent possession. And so, if you've already negated that the possessor is not intrinsically existent, then it can't intrinsically possess something because it doesn't intrinsically exist itself. You've so, that's what it's saying. You've already negated its intrinsic existence, so its possession can't be intrinsically existent either. Um, that makes it any more tenable. Uh, let me just see where we stop. Rimache, chukaba kaso, ngejeso, gongel mepachi, de tama, de de nipa. Okay, that's go, that's go, de la nile. Okay, I think we're, I'm right on, but I just want to make sure. De la nile. 722. Yeah, it's exactly. De la nile. Le la Shedamajuro, Maroon 
राजी थे कारों कारों मंदला ตะกองดูกองดูนอขันชินตะลาเชบะยินโตเนดาบะมะนิบิชโรดาบะมะนิบิชโรตายตายตะดาจิดาจิลาเดมนดูเวรอนลุลายาร์รอนลุลายาร
Therefore, furthermore, furthermore, if you say that such a shape is a chariot, then is the chariot the shape of the individual parts or the shape of the collection? If the former, it is a shape no different from the shape of the parts prior to their being assembled. Or is it a shape unlike their shape prior to assembly? Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way points out a fallacy in the first position. If you say that the shape that each part already had is what we know as a chariot, then just as there is no chariot when the parts are unassembled, so it is also when they are assembled. Also, the shapes of the wheels and such have no features after assembly, unlike those they had prior Hold on. Also, the shapes of the wheels and such have no features after assembly, unlike those they had prior to assembly. Therefore, just as there is no chariot when the parts are separate, there is no chariot when they are assembled. Suppose that the chariot is some other shape, apart from that of the wheels and such prior to assembly, which appears later when they are assembled. It is unlike the shape of those earlier parts. Chandrakirti's commentary in the Middleway middle way states this fact. If now, while the chariot itself is here, there were a different shape in the wheels and such, then it would be evident, but it is not. Therefore, the mere shape is not a chariot. If there were something different, some dissimilar feature between the shape of the wheels, axles, and such before assembly and their shape after assembly, then this would have to be evident. Yet no matter how you look, you do not observe such. Hence, it is not reasonable for some shape of the parts after assembly, unlike the shape of the parts prior to assembly, to be the chariot. Objection. I do not claim that the individual shapes of the individual parts are the chariot. I consider the general shape of the collection of the parts to be the chariot. Reply. Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way states this fallacy. According to you, collections do not exist at all. So the shape cannot be that of the collection of parts. How could you see a chariot in the shape of something that does not exist at all? This means that it is unreasonable for the shape of a collection to be a chariot, because inasmuch as collections do not substantially exist, it is untenable to impute such impute shape to a collection. For you essentialists hold that all imputedly existent phenomena have substantially existent bases of imputation. A collection of parts does not have an essential or intrinsic nature. It lacks substance. If it did intrinsically exist, it would have to be either one with or different from the parts comprising the collection. Whichever you assert, we cannot... We can refute you as explained above in the case of the chariot. So Lamentzum Kapp is saying anything you want to say, if it has something to do with things existing intrinsically, we will refute that position. And if we can't, then we'll convert. I've heard Lamentzum Kapp says that as well, that if we can't refute something you come up with, then we will then become your school. And then we will call that the highest school. Um, so he's saying that anything you come up with, we can refute. Um, so anyway, um, and it's all in search of the nature of reality, not out of ego or pride, which is also posited and mentioned in text. 724, just want to make sure where Rinpoche uh, let off. Shiro, 725. Okay. In our own system, we do not assert that the bases of imputation of imputedly existent phenomena are substantially existent. The shape of the collection of the parts is the basis to which the chariot is imputed. 
however, since the chariot is imputedly existent phenomena, which is imputed to the shape, we do not consider the mere shape of the collection to be the chariot. Therefore, in refuting the position that the shape of the collection is the chariot, we do not have to add any qualification like ultimate to what we are refuting. Objection. There is no reason that we cannot impute the chariot to a shape which lacks true existence and which depends upon a collection that lacks true existence. In that case, you must agree that there is no reason not to accept the production of all effects lacking true existence, comp compositional factors, seedlings, and the like, and dependence upon causes that lack true existence, ignorant consciousness, seeds, and so forth, as Chandrakirti's commentary in the Middle Way states. As this is what you assert, you should also understand that all effects that have untrue natures are produced in dependence upon untrue causes. This example of the chariot also precludes positing the mere aggregation of the eight particles, form, etc., to be pot composites such as pots. It also refutes the imputation of pots and such in dependence upon the eight substantially existent particles. And it refutes the proposition that pots and such are located in the distinctive shapes of substantially existent forms and such. Why? Since form and such are not intrinsically produced, they have no intrinsic nature, and thus it is untenable for them to be substantially existent. Accordingly, Chandrakirti's commentary on the Middle Way states, It is therefore unreasonable to claim that an awareness of a pot arises in relation to a particular configuration of form. Since they are not produced, form and such are also not, do not exist. Therefore, it is unreasonable... Uh, since they are not produced, form and such also do not exist. Therefore, it is unreasonable for a pot to be the shape of a collection of forms. So just as a note, it's saying that the intrinsic existence of form and such does not exist. It's not saying form doesn't exist. It's saying intrinsically existent form does not exist. So when they use the word exist, they're speaking intrinsically exist. Uh, that's the point that's being made here. Um, and it's smack dab in the middle of a commentary that's explaining all of that. So this quote is coming out of that commentary that is all about that. Um, so if, the, if like a chariot pot is not the shape of the aggregation of its parts, this would imply that it is not definitely characteristic of a pot to be round-bellied and so forth, for these qualities constitute a shape. Uh, reply, we hold that what is round-bellied, long necks and so forth is a pot, but we do not accept that the round-bellied shape is a pot. Otherwise, we would have to agree the bellies and necks are also pots. As a note, um, the first text in the debate school, they define a bunch of objects. They define what is form, they define color, um, and then color becomes a, a definiendum, and then that which is suitable to be shown as hue is its definition. So pot is one of those things that's used a lot as an example to debate. And the de definition of pot is round-bellied, long-necked, uh, bulbous. Uh, it's like bulbous, flat, and uh, able to hold a fluid, something like that. You see how it says etc. I remember it. It's dojo sharshum So it's a, a phenomena that is bulbous, flat bottomed and able to hold a substance. So that's the definition of pot. Um, so that the reason that they define it is so they say, is the bulbous uh, the pot? Is the flat the pot? Is the fact that it holds a substance the pot? Is just that point that it'll hold something. If it's not holding something, is it a pot? 
If it's holding too much and it's overflowing, is it an overflowing pot or is it still just a pot? So that's where it goes and that's why they define something. So everybody in the debate courtyard has an example that they all know the definition of. So when they debate, they're all working with the same thing and they don't have to go get a dictionary and look it up. They've already memorized it because they're working with these like 25 things they've defined and memorized. Um, so that's the reason you'll see these mentions of color and mentions of these similar things over and over because it's the first topic you study as a child in the collection of topics in the logic primer. Uh, it's maybe on the fifth page they define pot of all of Buddhism in the monastery. The fifth page defines pot. Uh, so that's the reason you see this. Rimache, the Garshene, the Pumba, the Pumbitseni, the Mambo Lagdu, the Nge Segdu, the Duja, the Dorde Chucho, the Derdu Sharshum, the Mambo Seni, Soncha Dan Seni, Mambo Yure, then Dasi Dana, Konso Kanga, Seni Hakogdu, then the Le Labudu, the Dasi Dan Le Labudu, then the Gangan Sene, the Kensapu Tsalodan, Garshene, Pumba Dan Pumba Seni, Yure, then Garshene Pentogdu, then the Konso, the Dutra Nangla, Hakogomare. Then this this I was told Rimache what I said about how you use it as a basis of debate. <laughs> Zola <laughs> Shinta 
This is the case in terms of both the true, two truths. But when reason fails to find it in those seven ways, does this refute the chariot? How could it? Reasoning that analyzes whether things intrinsically exist does not establish the assertion of the chariot. Rather, leaving the reasoned analysis aside, it is established by a mere unimpaired ordinary conventional, i.e. worldly consciousness. Therefore, the way a chariot is posited is that it is established as existing imputedly. It is imputed in dependence upon its parts. Objection. When a yogi analyzes in this way, reason does not find a chariot. Hence, the chariot does not exist essentially or intrinsically. However, its parts do exist, do not, however, its parts do exist intrinsically. Reply. You are searching for threads in the ashes of incinerated cloth. It is ridiculous. If the whole does not exist, neither do the parts. As Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way says, when the chariot itself does not exist, neither the whole nor its parts exist. This is, uh, if the whole does not exist, the parts do not exist. Qualm. This is untenable because when the chariot is destroyed, the collection of parts, wheels and such is still evident. Reply, no, only for those who have seen the chariot before will think these wheels and so forth are those of a chariot. Others will not think that. When the chariot is destroyed, the wheels and such are not associated with a chariot and thus are not parts of a chariot. Therefore, neither the chariot as a whole nor the parts of the chariot exist at that time. At that point, in terms of the chariot, neither the whole nor the parts exist. However, the wheels, etc. are wholes in relation to their own components and those components of their parts. Hence, you cannot posit parts without a whole. Moreover, you should use the example of the chariot to understand that parts do not exist without wholes. As Chandrakirti's commentary in the Middle Way says, when a chariot is burned, its parts do not exist. As in this example, when the fire of the analytical mind burns the holes, the parts do not exist. So if you take all the parts off of a chariot and you put them all in separate places and you bring someone in who never saw a chariot and never saw those wheels on a chariot and maybe only saw a cart, never saw a chariot before, those wheels have no chariotness to them whatsoever for that person. Therefore, they can't have chariotness because someone is recognizing them without seeing the chariotness. Um, they only when they're put on the chariot all together and then named as such do they become a chariot and a wheel of a chariot. It's only when the collection comes together and there's someone there to name it. So that, that wheel itself, so the autonomy school believes that there's chariotness over there in that collection of parts. The Prasangika school says there's no way that's possible because take each part. You'll see that wheel has no chariotness. So if that wheel has no chariotness, how could all of a sudden it take it on because you've put it together with other things that don't have chariotness? It's got to be something that's just named from the outside that doesn't come from its side. So that's all it's saying. Um, just, so I'm, we're almost at question and answer. We are at question and answer. Wait, I got, I got to three, right? Yeah, that's where we are. Question and answer. Go for it. Uh, we need the mic. Pass the mic. Get on. We're ready. Pass the mic and do anything you like. Okay, that's it. Could you just spell your name out before you start? Like, I'm the M.I. Kit. No. Okay. Like Beastie Boys. I think it would definitely get more views. <laughs> I just had this uh, image uh, pop into my head. If uh, 
Let's say that uh, that you uh, uh, put me in a room with all the parts of a chariot. Okay. And give me nothing but the directions of how to assemble it. Okay. Without it, so then I put the whole thing together and say that looks pretty good, and I decide to call it a kumquat. Then essentially, it's a kumquat. No, because worldly convention doesn't call it a kumquat. It's not called a kumquat when it comes together okay. as that. It it is a chariot only because worldly convention calls it a chariot. Now, the reason that it doesn't have chariotness <coughs> is because you could then take it and do something that isn't. You could make it a trailer, perhaps. You okay. could tow it behind a horse and put rakes in it or something. So then put it, it behind a person. So that's why it doesn't have chariotness to it. But worldly convention, that thing you put together, you had directions for. You had directions to make a chariot. Right. You know what I mean? The cone tree was the the cone the chikshena the um I forgot what chariot's called in, in Tibetan. The the Yenla Mambo the Nyamdu Shala. Then the Mingda, the Mota Yuna, the Mota the Korlo Yu, then the Mota the Jak Yu, then the Mambo Nyamdu, the then the Mota Yen. Then cone tree was the the cone the the susur the sha nala then kon korlo yure dan jak yure dan num yure the kanga yure then a becha yure tambo disha then a nipa disha then a sumba disha then a the nyanla kanga nyamdu shan chasun then a the mota yure yine the nama kon mota tongmasun then then a con the uh mingzure the the ming jack the ming jeff the mingi da the lutai yurube jun yurube gangin sena con mota ming da mason kongitsa nama con mota tung mason nama mota anger gumason the chala Chala is rik sarpa, the sarpa sarpa. Kongama mota tomason, mota hakogomare, mota tsik hakomason. Then they con garyene, the ming garya, then the ming jeff ming dagdu. Mota dagamare. Then jun garre, garshene the jeff yomare. Garshene mota yen. The mota yen, dang jeff, nicha dirbe. Gangishene the ming daken. Zugdu kongi chewa de. Motor me, motor hila mutsu deroa. Lesser. Suba the motor maris. Suba la ten, eh, motor jawaras. Lesser. Suba la tune, eh, ten de tune, motor jawaras. Yene, con the ming gender pechichena, con the Jeff ming dagdu. The mota yure. Yene, con mota hakogumare. Then a con mingari ya 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 and sanlo dangdu then a Jeff mingda. Then a did Jeff yin digre junior eh. Jeff is in a consultant guru. Junior is. Yin a did mik the get keshala chirang shiva hakogudue. Selpusha tugudue. The mik. The Ming Da, the Sansan, the the key, Ming Da Senge. The Senge, yo mare. You need Ming Da Senge. 
Cele sunt mitana lutares. Leso. Cele cestana monero. Leso. So if you're naming it anything other than what it is, um, for instance, I said, what if you call a dog a lion? You name it lion. He said, it's not a lion. Believing it's a lion is wrong view because it's a dog. So I'm just trying to get to the point of why is it then Garshene the key in Senge Mayan, the Mekanga Tsampa, the key in this Senge in? Garshene. Garshene the key yure. Then ye ki minga the lamo. Ye ki la yomare, ye ki dundru. Ye ki dundru yin. Lamo yomare. La la yomare. Kon ki. Ki dundru yin. Yine ngatsu mingi da lamo. Yine la yomare. Then garshene la yomare. Ki yimbeche. Dundru yimbeche. Then ne, the mingi da, the garre. Then garshene. So there is incorrect nominal designation and correct. And the word for incorrect is like lying nominal designation. Like lying, meaning calling a dog a lion. Like meaning it's like, um, it's not a lion. It's not a lie in the sense of non-virtue, but it's, that's the way that the Tibetan reads. So you calling it a kumquat is incorrect. Why is it incorrect? Because in worldly convention, it's called a car. Why is it called a car? Because the definition of a car is that what is suitable to be shown as a car. Has wheels, goes down the road, blah, 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 blah. But okay. the your Remache said that the name is independent. You can call it anything you want. If you know, you can call it anything you want. But when it comes to what its name is, everything has a definition and a findiendum. It. It's called something and is defined by why is it called this? Because the definition of that is this. You know so, what I mean? So a chariot, a chariot uh, has is, a definition, definitely. And, and it's, but it's not dependent uh, upon parts in an intrinsic way. But the notion of a chariot is dependent upon the notion of the parts. Correct. Got it. Yeah. And so the, the, the notion of what a chariot is is empty, too, because you're putting these parts together and saying in your mind, it's this thing that I can ride in that a horse carries. You're doing all of that. And then, boom, you have in your mind a chariot. But without doing all that, there's no chariot that exists in your mind or outside of your mind. It's merely a collection that comes together that's suitable to be named as this or that. Okay. I think I understand where the line okay, is. Okay, cool. So, Bushasa. Then, the su, the mingzusun, the dindru, the ki, the gam. The becha, the chotse, the su mingzu song. Jikten? Nyamdu? Mugumitaburden. Me, me su. Yene, the Natsu kanga tsampa. Chotse motayin? Dene gare. Natsu nima da. The Natsu pugudu. The Natsu amadam papa. Nima dakpar. The motayin, motayin, motayin. The Natsu kanga tsampa. Chotse mota. Dene Natsu the mambo nyamdu. Luta? Natsu luta gangin sene make more 
Sampa the Chotse? I'm trying to figure out if everyone in this room was taught from birth that this was a car and not a table, does it just the, the more people that believe it is some name? I'm trying to figure out who named it. That's what I'm asking him. He said someone named it. So I'm just trying to get to the bottom of that. Like, obviously, it just goes back and back and back. And we understand why that's a table because it's, that's what we call it. But it's funny when you start to think in those terms of what, why, what's just a name. And it, it's, yeah. Okay, next. It's, but that's what the emptiness is. It's this discussion that we're having that makes it empty. Because what, it, why isn't it a kumquat? Well, why is it a car? It's not intrinsically a car. Anyway. But conventionally, it is car. Why? Because conventionally, it drives down the road, holds people, and does all the things that conventionally we believe a car does. When you talk about beings of small capacity and you kind of list these things, these attributes, these practices that yes. they need to do yes. in order to achieve a higher realm rebirth, mm. is the converse also true? So we have achieved these higher realm rebirths. We are here as in the human realm. Mm -hmm. Have we then done all of those practices that a being of small capacity is laid out as needing to do because um, you don't say you can do some of them. You don't say, oh, you can do these right. three, but these two don't really matter. Right. Um, so is that converse also true? Yes. And it gets to this question I have about kind of karma and people that have, you know, that we've achieved these, this human rebirth. And yet people get to this point and have, say, I have a, a family member that has mental health issues. And she literally cannot do the right thing because she doesn't have the mental capacity to mm -hmm. do those things mm -hmm. to karmically keep that energy going mm -hmm. to have a higher realm rebirth in theory um, because she's making these wrong decisions. But she would have had to have done them previously to get to this point. So it also gets to these realms and these kind of fixed lines of demarcation that they talk about amongst these realms. Like she seems like she's uh, in a hell realm in this physical, in the human form. Mm -hmm. Like she's suffering so badly and can't karmically then regenerate the correct views to perpetuate that. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like there's something inconcordant there that I, I struggle with in that concept of karma and how that works you know, in the continuation of that. Mm. So when we look at the experiences that occur in this lifetime, they're literally a very, very small piece of our mental continuum expressing itself in the form of an experience. So our continuum right now is full of seeds, uh, virtuous seeds and non-virtuous seeds. And the non-virtuous seeds lead to a, a suffering experience. This we'll call it suffering in a general form. And the virtuous seeds uh, lead to a, a happy experience. So we have enough of those to, to, without ever creating any more karma, literally, to have eons of experience. Eons. Millions and millions of lifetimes of experience. So the experience that we're having right now is a result or could be the result of a few actions that we did amongst millions and millions of, of actions that we have stored within our continuum and then 
in the intermediate state or our previous life on our deathbed, we connected to some, in some way, somehow, to some of those seeds. Some way, somehow. And those seeds give rise to a variety of experiences. So in this lifetime, for instance, if someone is incapacitated in some way, that only means that there's been the exhaustion of some negative karma that was in their continuum, but is also in every one of our continuums as well. So we all within our continuums have that same potential to have that, even though we're sitting here right now, if we haven't realized certain things, we have in our continuum right now the potential to experience all of the varieties of suffering that we currently see in front of us. And after experiencing them, go to a God's realm. Because we've already created the karma and the seeds to have a million varieties of experience. And the point of Buddhism is to try to beat it before it happens, to get rid of those negative seeds before they ripen into something that is a form of suffering like you're speaking of. And according to Buddhism, everyone becomes a Buddha and everyone goes through whatever process their karma leads them through. But every karma we create does not have to be experienced because it can be purified. So, so I've heard, so now I'm going to ask Rinpoche a bunch of questions, but I felt it important to say that first because we as humans cling to this life and we see it as the end-all be-all and can't see before it or after it because of our karmic obscurations. We don't have the clairvoyance um, and we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand beyond the simple words that we're trying to model through very complex waters. And we're trying to understand something Buddha said is much more difficult than emptiness to understand. Why karma is the way it is. Why right now I feel good and in five minutes I could all of a sudden have an appendicitis happen. And like what, why, you know, I'm having the best day of my life and then tragedy occurs and then something, why does that happen like that? Buddha said to try to figure out the subtleties that cause and effect that are occurring uh, requires omniscience. Um, so, Rinpoche, Kontriwa de re de me kashe se de shera kale kapudu me kashe de sem de de gupa dandar de kon lobjung she tugumare then kon lobjung she na de becha lo tu like becha lo tugumare de kongi sem pugo chun chun lo ni dandar de se kanga. Then they con lobjung kali kapudu, gewat sa kali kapudu, gangin sena, me kashi de sen chun chun, dakpar long langadu, dakpar sheda long langadu, chikshena long apchu, lo druchu, nima dakpar long langadu, then pugu chun chun sem dandar. Then they consu kandre lobjung she, then consu 
Kandre Jewa Shema de de la dan de de la dan me drodur Kandre Gangin Sena se de Lobjun She Tugumare Lobjun She Chok Tugumare Then they consul Jewa Shema Dewa Cha Kandre Colon Lamarina than Janga Suma Jubadan Gumama Gubadan Uruata Homo Jadu Majiba ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、ジェバヒナ、
And I've seen in front of my eyes Rinpoche's, some of Rinpoche's students incapacitated mentally and transform into practitioners that are unbelievable. So I've seen things even go from something that I thought was irreversible to not. Um, so I can see in my own life where I've put projected qualities of onto someone that weren't really accurate. And I'm not saying you're doing that, but Rinpoche is just saying that just because someone can't do, can't read this book, doesn't mean that they're not creating virtue. Does that answer stuff? Anything I missed? It's a really hard yeah, subject. Really it's really so hard. Complex. And it seems judgmental, I know. Um, that's the hardest part because I was brought up Catholic some, some of the time. Um, and it's really hard because you have that judgment. So as soon as you hear karma and then you hear, well, it's your fault that you're like that. That's what I heard when I first got to Buddhism. Well, you're suffering, it's your fault. But it's not you that it's fault. It's some other being that's not you, but it's your same continuum. But that being doesn't have anything to do with you other than some being somewhere created some kind of karma that is leading to the experience you're having. It was the same continuum, like it was like, it's weird when you think about it, because it's you, your continuum, but it's not you. Like it's not Jeff, there is no Jeff past or before this life. And, and I would have clung to Bill and thought I was as much a Bill as I am a Jeff right now. And that Bill might have been a real jerk. And he created like, tomorrow my car breaks. But Bill and Jeff don't have any real association with each other other than that Bill put some things in the bank that maybe I don't like the experience of. Is that, so there's no judgmental, it's Bill's fault. You know what I mean? It's not Jeff's fault. So then that's how I, I kind of put it simply in my mind to make it take that judgment out. Like it's not Jeff's fault that... <laughs> He, you know, had problems with drugs before. It's another being's karma created that kind of addiction. You know what I mean? So it's not Jeff's fault, but Jeff's experiencing the fault of non-virtue. And if I don't want to have any being connected to me have to do that suffering again, I have to behave like this, that, and this. Boom, huh? I apologize to any bills out there I might have offended too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next week? Next week will be the the following, right? Second, we decided. All right, so I think we're going to end there. Oh, first, is that true? This Wednesday is the first Wednesday of the month, so that means we have the Chandrakirti's entrance to the Middle Way teaching, and it's been really amazing, and Rinpoche is taking the text stanza by stanza and sometimes line by line um, and explaining it. Um, and This we're doing, because this is the most difficult section of the book, uh, just to repeat for anybody who's watching, Rinpoche is doing more of a transmission with a slight commentary. Uh, because there's so much information in here that infers the student has studied the tenet systems and most of us haven't, so it would be impossible for that teaching to really be 
clearly understood at my capacity. Um, so we're focusing more on the transmission so that Rinpoche can get to more applicable things to our capacity. Um, so Wednesday, uh, Rinpoche does a complete explanation of the entrance to the middle way. And we're now currently in the section of the sixth chapter, which directly applies to the section that we're in in the Great Treatise. So the sixth chapter is the, it's the kind of emptiness section. It's all about emptiness, but the sixth chapter is the main pith of the explanation of emptiness in this text. And really, line is in concordance with the message that's being given in this third volume of the Lamrim Chemo. Hey, oh, all right. Uh, concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land, surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All-powerful Avogateshvara Tenzin Yatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, the spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts, with exceptional wisdom and perseverance.